Hi there, this is Kent Roundy. I'm a psychiatrist at the Utah State Hospital. We're at USH Med Student and we are doing some more podcasts. This week's podcast is going to focus on bipolar disorder. We're going to tackle a couple of aspects of that. We'll look at the diagnosis, why it might be important to treat people, and uh, how prevalent it is out in the community. So we'll start with introductions. Got two medical students here with me today. Uh, ben, how about if you start with introductions? Yeah, I'm, my name is Ben Winter. I'm a third year student from Rocky Vista University, um, doing my psychiatry rotation with Dr. Roundy. And then I am Connor Weston, also a third year medical student at Rocky Vista, and also doing my psychiatry rotation with Dr. Roundy. Good to have you guys here. Kind of a strange rotation for these two guys. Uh, they've both taken their shelf exam, their original rotation was disrupted by the coronavirus, and I, I guess technically this is uh, what's called a makeup rotation, right? Which is really strange to me, because you guys never had the chance for the first rotation. How do you have a makeup rotation when you didn't get a first <laughs> rotation? That's my question. Yeah, it's been interesting to make it up, but uh, at least it's better than having nothing. I hope so. I hope you're having a good rotation here. A little bit of a disclosure up front. So this podcast is inspired by, in part by uh, a project that I'm working on. I have a presentation upcoming and I've been asked to speak on the diagnosis and treatment of bipolar disorder. I um, unfairly, probably, wrangled in Connor and Ben to help me build that presentation and they've done a great job with it. So. Where I'd like to start is talking about the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And Connor, you, you've been tasked with tidying up my slides. I had a slide <laughs> deck. And you've been tasked with tidying up those slides and making sure that we're up to date with the DSM-5. Yeah, so when we were looking at the diagnosis of bipolar, uh, it's interesting that it actually there's bipolar one and bipolar two. In bipolar one, the one criteria is that you need to have a manic episode that socially or occupationally affects your life in a negative way versus bipolar 2 which is where you have one hypomanic episode and then at least one major depressive episode that also causes problems in your life. So in that Diagnosis, you can't really talk about bipolar without talking about the manic episode and the major depressive episode. So an easy mnemonic to remember to diagnose a manic episode is dig fast. And what that stands for is the D is distractibility and easy frustration, irresponsibility and erratic behavior, grandiosity, flight of ideas, activity, is increased in the patient, their sleep is decreased, and then they have pressured speech. Uh, for a major... Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back you up just a okay. little bit there, okay? So, okay? so a couple of things you pointed out that are really important on the test, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one is that for bipolar disorder one, you only need to have that manic episode. Right. But for bipolar two disorder, you have to have both a manic episode and a depressive episode. Does that sound right to you? Yes. That is okay, correct. good. Because I, I think that's a change, right? We talked about that earlier. Yes, it used to be where I don't think that 
it wasn't just a manic episode for bipolar one. Yeah, I, I think you had to have the depressive episode as well. Right. And, and then let's talk about that disruption in function. So mm-hmm. um, you can have mood elevation, I think, and still get a lot of things done, have a lot of activities that go well for you, perhaps sleep less. But when it starts getting in the way of the family relationships, when people are required to be hospitalized for their safety and the safety of the people around them, that's where things start to change, right? Then it, it, it seems to cross this line between the bipolar two to bipolar one diagnosis, right? Right. And, and I think the key word is, one is uh, I think bipolar two says that it causes distress to your functioning and your life. And then what's the word for bipolar disorder one? I, I don't remember. Um, I think there's a there's actually like a keyword. Specific word. Yeah, because it's it's more than distress, right? It's it's disruptive. Impairment. Things. Impairment, right? You're not just you distressed by it, but you're no longer able to function the same way. It, it dramatically changes that function. Right. And then I want to go back to the mnemonic, dig fast. I, mm-hmm. I've also heard digs fast. Right, um, and I, I think one of the other key aspects of a manic episode mm-hmm. has been irritability. Right, so sometimes that I also includes irritability okay. in addition to the I word you mentioned, which was uh, it was irresponsibility. Irresponsibility, yeah. So, so it's interesting too when you talk about these diagnostic criteria. Um, one of the thing that's one of the things that sticks out to me about bipolar disorder and you know the, the difference between that and major depressive disorder is that you also have these manic episodes right? right and usually in bipolar disorder people are going to have depressive episodes one of the things that really sticks out to me is that um, our patients that have bipolar disorder mm-hmm. it's like it's against the law like, I mean I kind of get it right but speeding not paying attention to laws shoplifting this these kind of um, high reward, high risk behaviors, I think, is part of that description of bipolar disorder. And, and, and you know, just not thinking through things clearly. I remember I saw a patient that uh, when I was uh, deployed uh, to Iraq, and there was a comment made about a mistake that this person made while they were manic, not really thinking through things. And I think the phrase was nearly cost, caused an international incident, right? So, um, you know, it's really easy when you're in um, pretty important settings to, to pay attention to people that, that maybe are um, not sleeping well, making poor decisions, you know, kind of jumping on things quickly, thoughts are racing, and, and kind of being aware, watch out where you're placing that person. Because right. that can be bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so the manic episode. We've got the criteria down for that, right? Right. And you want to run through those again so that people can hear them the second time? Yeah. So, once again, uh, so with a manic episode, it has to last a week. And within that week, you have to have three or four of these uh, extra characteristics. So, dig fast was distractibility and easy frustration, irresponsibility or erratic behavior, or irritable, as Dr. Rowdy pointed out, grandiosity, flight of ideas, activity is increased, their sleep is decreased, and then they have the pressured speech. Good. All right, so a depressive episode would be part of 
uh, bipolar disorder commonly, mm-hmm. and uh, would be required, or, or bipolar one would commonly be a part of bipolar one, and would be required to be part of bipolar two, right? Um, what are the criteria briefly for major depressive disorder? Do you have those in front of you? Yeah, so with a major depressive disorder, it also has a time uh, where it has to be for two weeks or more. And the common mnemonic for a major depressive disorder is SIG-E-CAPS, which stands for sleep, interest, guilt, energy, concentration, appetite, psychomotor, slowing and that would be kind of like restlessness or something like that so actually the the movements slow down in psychomotor slowing yeah so the p is psychomotor slowing alone and and what you'll see is it's really interesting it's like it's almost like claymation movement you'll see people start to reach maybe to their hair and i wish you could see this on a (laughs) podcast you can't but i started reaching for my hair at the beginning of this and now i'm finally starting to get there and it's it just there's just this slowing. Okay. It's it's not as much restlessness as it is slowing. It seems like. Okay. But I think the criteria do include psychomotor agitation. Is that right? Yeah. I don't recall. Okay. Yeah. Good. And then the last S is suicide. Suicide. Right? Yeah. yeah. Pretty pretty deadly illness. Mm-hmm. Um. So here's here's a question for you guys. Okay. I, I haven't met a student yet that knows the answer to this. So we'll see if you guys can pull this off. Why is there are mnemonic SIGI caps. I mean, what is, where does that come from? I mean, I know it's memorable, right? SIGI caps. But why, where, where did that come from originally? I'm not sure where it comes from, but it, it's really helpful for a test. Yeah, yeah. Can I do my best guess? Oh, please do. We love <laughs> those. <laughs> okay. My best guess would be something with uh, some caps. And I'm thinking like soda on a soda cap, and maybe there was a <laughs> old uh, factory or something that was called Sig or Sig Freud or something like that. That's my best. Guess. Very very interesting and and uh, an explanation I've never heard before. Okay, that was my best guess. <laughs> so so a Sig, okay. if you look at the Latin, I think that's the what's prescribed, right? I don't know what it stands for in Latin, but. This, in the old days, they would write SIG, and then they would write what is being prescribed. So if the SIG is E-caps or energy capsules, oh. right, because energy would be the antidote to depression. So E-caps or energy caps is the prescription for depression. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so I think that's where that came from. And if it isn't, I, I at least made up something that I hope is pretty interesting, right? But SIG, if, so did you Google that just barely? Yeah, I just Googled SIG. It's in Latin. It's short for signature, or in English, that would translate to "let it be labeled." Oh, okay. energy capsules. Let it be labeled. Energy capsules. That's right. Cool. Actually, makes sense. Uh, let's go ahead and move away from the criteria just a little bit, right? And uh, Ben, you talked. Are you been spending some time looking at how common bipolar disorder is? Yeah. And. I think when we started looking at this, we, we looked at something called the National Comorbidity Survey. Survey, yeah. And maybe the replication of that. I can't remember if Kessler did the re- replication or, or if this he was, was... Yeah, he was looking at the replication of that study. And uh, tell, me, tell me what you found looking at that study, and then I'll ask you about follow-up. 
Sure. So there's a there's a lot of data. This this is the the National Comorbidity Survey it seems to be the most comprehensive um, analysis of the prevalence of these mood disorders and other other disorders as well. Yeah, I think I'll jump in right there. So I think this was based on the DSM-4, and they went out with DSM-4 criteria and did uh, like thousands of interviews. Correct. And uh, and developed a point prevalence and uh, longitudinal prevalences that you'll talk about. But, but lots and lots of, of interviews, diagnostic interviews, right? Yeah, I think it was close to 10,000. My memory was close to twenty thousand, oh, but more? it's been it's been a long time since I've looked at this study. So, so this is not just about bipolar disorder, but they found data for all psychiatric illness, right? All the ones that were, or many of the ones that were in the DSM. Right. So, so on that, with that kind of addition, go ahead and continue where you're at. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So, so this this publication broke down some of that data from that survey. Um, and specifically looking at the mood disorders section of the of the data that they calculated the prevalence um, of some of these diseases and broke that down into age categories and longitudinal categories and also severity of the, the diseases um, and since we're focusing specifically on the bi- bipolar category the the study found that in a 12-month period, the prevalence of bipolar in the population surveyed was about 2.6%. Um, but then, interestingly, you look at some of the severity stats, and of all of these diseases and disorders, bipolar was much more skewed towards the serious end of the spectrum rather than the moderate or the mild categories. So, so that's bipolar one and bipolar two disorders were combined in that, yeah. and that's where we get the two point six percent of the population in that year right. had had uh, an episode, and and over eighty percent of those were severe episodes. Right, I, I would have been very interested to have known what percentage of bipolar one disordered uh, people with bipolar one disorder had a severe episode during that year, you know, or a serious episode, I think is the language, not severe. Mm-hmm. But surprising to me how disruptive the bipolar one disorder and bipolar two disorder can be. Yeah, definitely, especially compared to other, other of these mood disorders. I, I thought it was equally as interesting that 0% of the people with bipolar one or bipolar two disorder had a mild occurrence of that. Yeah, every everyone was categorized as either moderate or serious, with majority being serious. Yeah, and that's different from something like depression, where about fifty percent of the people have a moderate uh, episode, and then thirty percent have a serious episode, and twenty percent have a mild episode. Right. That, yep. That uh, it, most of the numbers were kind of like that uh, in the other conditions that were mood disorders. Um, so why is this important? Right, we talked about this also a little bit earlier. And I think one of the things that's uh, surprising to me is that when you start thinking about seriously and persistently mentally ill populations, so they sometimes refer to that as the SPMI population, um, our our patients die a lot faster than um, other people's patients, right? If you, I I was looking at an article from 
Denmark, Finland, and Sweden, and they were comparing a life expectancy of somebody starting at age 15, at what age would they die on average, and comparing that to uh, a standardized population. And it, it was fascinating to me that patients that had bipolar disorder, people that had bipolar disorder, died anywhere from 10 to 20 years sooner on average. So depending on whether it was a man with bipolar disorder in Sweden versus a woman with bipolar disorder in uh, Finland, those numbers varied anywhere from about 10 to 20 years, and still very impressive that, I mean, the, the, the frequency of death is, is so much uh, higher, right? That, that, that lifespan, that life expectancy is so much lower. And, and you can start looking at things like standardized mortality ratios, and I had to double check those this morning, and if I, I don't know, did you guys Google that, look that up? Like so, that. so if uh, Google is accurate, and it probably pulled information from Wikipedia for this, so so we'll we'll know shortly, right? Maybe we'll get feedback on the podcast. Um, standardized mortality ratios tell you what pers- what number of people above one die in comparison to what baseline would be, right? So if one is a baseline comparison, any number above that is uh, is a standardized mortality ratio for the population, and I'm probably butchering that. Um, so if you look at like the Zurich cohort, which is a study looking at a, a group of people from uh, way back, right? So this, let me see if I can find the slide that I have on this. Um, the Zurich cohort looked at a population from 1959 to 1997. And the st- standardized mortality ratios were, I mean, they were, they were off a little bit, right? You have uh, treated patients generally dying at a little lower standard mortality, standardized mortality ratio than their peers, right? So um, if one is the population norm, uh, 2.2 people die at the same rate, if I'm saying this the right way, for cardiovascular illness if they are untreated, and if they are treated, then that rate drops just a little bit, right? The thing that stands out is the difference between um, the standardized mortality ratio for suicide in treated and untreated populations. So it's important to, to find this because untreated people with bipolar disorder, standardized mortality ratio is 29.2. That seems big to me, right? And even treated patients, treated people with bipolar disorder, uh, that standardized mortality ratio is still at 6.4 based on that article. So, so death, I mean, we think about this illness as a wrecking ball on lives that people have. It, it uh, absolutely demolishes relationships. It gets in the way of job performance. It gets in the way of job growth. And you know, when you lose your job every couple of years and start over, you know, that, that's, a, that's a big hit financially over a lifetime, right? So, so it's not just a wrecking ball on, on life and, and um, relationships and jobs, but it's also you know, very deadly in comparison, right? So it's a big deal. Uh, all right, so um, this podcast, I think we focused on some nuts and bolts of, of the condition. I'm wondering, uh, Ben, why don't you tell me what you thought was most interesting on the stuff we covered today so far? Um, a lot of the diagnosis um, criteria is being refined um, 
over the years and looking back at some of these previous studies, which I feel like is helping us get a more clear picture and better identify some of these diseases. Um, another interesting thing that I found while I was preparing for this is a lot of these prevalence studies list, list a few reasons why the numbers they put out and report may be underestimates of the reality and that there might be more cases um, than we, we're currently recognizing. Now there was one other study, I, and I, I'm a little bit surprised by that because you also mentioned to me earlier today a second study that's in the works, or has been completed, right. with the DSM-5 from the 4, so we went from the 4 to the 5. Yeah. They said, well, does this change what we see in the community in terms of bipolar disorder? And what you found was? The, the study found similar rates, and they similar predictions of rates. Uh, they also mentioned some of the same biases that may have lowered their numbers as well. So the idea from the people that are doing these studies is that these problems may be a little bit more prevalent than we are aware of, even though we're finding fairly consistent numbers. Right. Okay. And that surprised me as well. I, w I wondered if uh, you know, changing the diagnostic criteria somewhat would change the prevalence of those conditions. Looks like generally it did not. Yeah. And Connor, what about you? Take home, interesting. I think just with what I was researching is just how much it has changed between the DSM-5 and the DSM-4. Because uh, you always think of bipolar as being switching between those two. I think that's more of the common knowledge out there versus now it's just having that one episode and uh, you're just a bipolar one because I've talked to a doctor who is retired now and was trained in the old way and he was surprised by that information so yeah yeah I, I think probably the the feeling is that you don't have to wait for a by a, a depressive episode to know that you need to treat um, a manic episode, right? Mm -hmm. And and that probably opens up FDA indications on some level that wouldn't have been opened up without that change. So what do you treat somebody with that's manic that doesn't have bipolar disorder? And we'll talk about that in a follow-up podcast probably uh, tomorrow, if we're lucky, right? So, so we'll kind of look at those indications a little bit more closely tomorrow with the medications. Um, and I think I think it also, I mean, I, I, from my perspective, we had a lot of ability to treat depression. Perhaps we treated bipolar depression as unipolar depression, but often it would declare itself as well eventually, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think this just kind of gave us some more tools to, to open up treatment. Um, but I, I don't know that there's a lot of data on the change, so I'd be interested if somebody's aware of data or if the data was in the DSM-5, because I know the DSM-5 has a, has a lot of data in it to support why they made some of the changes or why they continued the, the criteria. So maybe I'll have to look at that more closely. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, anything else from either of you? No, it covers what we found. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you very much. We appreciate yeah, you participating you. today, and uh, hopefully we get one more out of you guys before you're gone. All right. Sounds good.